Hello everyone and welcome to episode 584 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. I hope you're getting into the swing of things this January. As this podcast gets released, I'm actually going to be on a cruise. My dad and his wife just love cruises and I've never been on a proper one, so I thought, well, this is the time. We're leaving from Sydney to Burnie in Tasmania, and then on to Hobart, and then back again. So it's just seven days, and apparently I will have access to the internet, so I will be posting Instagram stories if you want to follow along, and really I'm doing that to keep myself amused. Not much to do with writing, even though I am bringing a whole stack of reading, of course, Um, but I figured... Well, I'm pretty excited about going on a cruise, so if anyone else is curious to know what it's like, Instagram stories is where it's going to be. I'm not actually sure what will be on the cruise, but I'll be finding out. So that's at Valerie Koo on Instagram. No doubt there will be plenty of activities to choose from, you know, like, I don't know, my image of cruises comes from watching The Love Boat when I was little, so there'll be shuffleboard and maybe Julie, the cruise director, will be on there. Anyway, I'm hoping my camera won't make you seasick, and I hope I don't get seasick too. And I say that about my camera because I'll be using my new toy, my new reading glasses, uh, Ray-Ban Wayfarer Meta Smart Glasses. And no, this is not sponsored at all. Um, They have a built-in camera. So that I'm just excited because all I have to do, the future is here, right? All I have to do is tell my glasses to take a photo or a video and it will do it. Now I needed new reading glasses and these were actually cheaper than regular glasses from the optometrist. So I figured why not? Because I could have some, have some fun with them as well. Apparently they can live stream into the, so you want to be a writer Facebook group as well. So who knows? I might be doing some of that in the near future to answer questions and connect with the community. Speaking of the Facebook group, if you are not already in there, do join. It's free to join. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free to join and there's lots of aspiring, emerging and established writers as well as other people in the industry who are there, um, you know, all to share ideas about writing and to support each other. Now let's say hello to Nat Newman, who is a creative extraordinaire, one of the fantastic tutors at the Australian Writers' Centre, a writer, an author, an actor, a script writer, a film producer, a few things, a few things. How are you, Nat? Uh, well, I'm great. And what a lovely introduction. How are you, Valerie? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I have... Um, some questions for you because after your true confession last week about previously having a blog about public toilets, I got a few messages. Mm-hmm. Number one, does the blog about public toilets still exist? Number two, why in the world did you start a blog about public toilets? Number three, what kind of content did you have? And number four, were there photos and what kind? Okay, there's a lot in there. Uh, one, no, I don't run the blog anymore, although all the posts are still available out there on the internet. Um, two, I think you asked what was the content. A lot of it why was did actually, you start oh, it? Why did I start it? You know, I actually started it out of. Um, <laughs> this is so bizarre. It used to really make me angry that um, women have to line up longer than men for toilets. Oh yeah, heaps. And and if and, there are toilets, if there are toilets, exactly. <laughs> and so I actually, this is so bizarre. I did actually a little survey. I was living in Wellington in New Zealand at the time, and I did a survey 
of toilets and went to all the pubs and basically asked how many men's toilets and urinals were there and how many women's toilets there were and compared the numbers. And, and like, I think there's this idea that women just spend a lot longer in the toilet. We don't, there are just fewer toilets. Like there'll be Mm. two stalls and three urinals for the men and two stalls for the women. And it's just like, plus we go to the toilet more often because we have smaller bladders anyway. Mm. So all of these things just kind of made me furious. And so then I started reviewing public toilets. And that's oh how it's started. But what do you, okay, so that brings us to question three, which was what kind of content? What do you mean reviewing public toilets? Yeah, so I'd, I'd review things like, um, you know, uh, were the, did the locks work? Um, oh. you know, was the, there a hook? That's my yes. pet peeve. Was there a hook to yeah. hang your handbag? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I, I lived in the Philippines for a while and there were never hooks on the backs of the toilets in the Philippines and 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 you use um, a bucket to flush the toilet there. So you, you couldn't put your bag down anywhere because everywhere was the whole bathroom was wet. <laughs> that oh, was really horrible. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So, but, yeah, hooks is a big thing. Um, sanitary bins, um, does it flush? Um, so really just the basics. Um, and then also just, is it a nice experience, you know, cause yeah, we spend a bit of time in toilets. <laughs> that is a bizarre pastime for you to have a, a bizarre blog to have. So yeah. the final question was, did you have photos and if so, what kind? Yeah. So I would take photos of, of, you know, of the actual <laughs> stalls of the toilets, of the sinks, of the mirrors, of that kind of overall thing. Um, so yeah, and just review toilets from all over the world on my travels. (laughs) So I guess this was some years ago because your creative pursuits have definitely evolved (laughs) since then to become a little bit more mainstream. (laughs) There's what is unmainstream about toilets? We use them every day. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Um, well, thank you for answering those questions. And I hope the listeners who sent those questions in, uh, have been satiated that your curiosity is now satisfied. So let's move on to your writing tip this week. All right. My writing tip this week is, um, this might, I don't know, this might be a bit strange as well, but I really urge people to invest in your setup, whatever that be. And I mean like your desk or wherever Mm. it is that you write. Um, so for example, I know people who just write at their kitchen desk, at their kitchen table, and that's absolutely fine. Um, but if you're spending a lot of time there, if this is a place where you're spending two, three, five, six hours a day, particularly if it's where you work as well, I think it's worth investing in that uh, in that space. Yeah, I think too often we just kind of go, oh, I'll just I'll just plonk myself here. But if this is a place where you're spending time, then make that space, you know, special in some way. Um, so for myself, but also I, ergonomically good. Yes, ergonomic. This is one of my pet peeves. Like so, for me, I've got my standing desk, and it also turns into a sitting desk, and I've got my ball, and I've got my big monitor, and everything's ergonomically set up, um, and it's perfect for me. But a lot of people like to write in bed. Now, this <laughs> mortifies me. I don't know how anyone can write in bed. But, you know, if that's your jam, that's your jam. But even if you are writing in bed, make sure that you've got really good cushions. You know, get yep. yourself one of those little um, uh, kind of. Lumbar support. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And one of those little tables that sit over your lap. They're mm. not expensive. You can get those from Officeworks or Kmart or whatever for like 20 bucks. Yep. Um, but make sure you set yourself up so that you actually are comfortable and that you're not going to. I'm, as you know, I'm big fitness junkie, um, Valerie, and I think it's important to look after your body. And I think writers very often don't look after their body, but you know, this is your, this is your tool. It's not just your brain. You've got to use your body. (laughs) So look after yourself, invest in your setup, whether that's your desk or, um, your corner of the kitchen table or your bed or wherever it is you happen to write, make it work for you and make sure it works for your body and your body type. 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you feel even the slightest twinge of, you know, tightness or or pain, obviously, uh, it, it's only going to get worse if mm-hmm. you don't change your setup. So sometimes something as basic as changing the chair or changing the height of the desk. I mean, changing the height of the desk is not as easy unless you have a sit-stand desk, but definitely changing the chair is, is very, very important. I've said it before that when I was getting a lot of back pain, you know, it wasn't debilitating, but it was just always there. Um, you know, about 10 years ago or whenever, I took the plunge and I spent a small fortune on a very, very good ergonomic chair. And it was basically instantaneous Mm -hmm. that the back pain went away and it hasn't come back. Um, So, and I still have the chair. So it was worth every single cent. You know, as you say, we've only got one body, right? And you don't think of writing as an extreme sport or something where you need to think about these things, but you do because Mm. sitting for long periods you know, isn't ideal for you. So yeah, yeah, that is a really good tip. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Nat. Uh, And we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Valerie. Now it's time for our competition. This week, I'm giving away three copies of First Lie Wins by Ashley Elston. This edge of your seat read is not only gripping, but also emotionally moving, keeping you hooked until the very end. Here is the blurb. Evie Porter has everything a nice southern girl could want. A perfect doting boyfriend, a house with a white picket fence and a garden, a fancy group of friends. The only catch? Evie Porter doesn't exist. The identity comes first, Evie Porter. Once she's given a name and location by her mysterious boss, Mr Smith, she learns everything there is to know about the town and the people in it. Then the mark, Ryan Sumner. The last piece of the puzzle is the job. Evie isn't privy to Mr. Smith's real identity, but she knows this job will be different. Ryan has gotten under her skin and she's starting to envision a different sort of life for herself. But Evie can't make any mistakes, especially after what happened last time. Because the one thing she's worked her entire life to keep clean, the one identity she could always go back to, her real identity, just walked into this town. Evie Porter must stay one step ahead of her past while making sure there's still a future in front of her. The stakes couldn't be higher, but then Evie has always liked a challenge. All right, so I have three copies of First Lie Wins by Ashley Elston to give away. And entries close on the 15th of January. It's very easy to enter. All you have to do is go to writerscentercomau slash win. That's writercentercomau slash win win and follow the instructions. Super easy and entries close on the 15th of January. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are. So this week's word of the week is plethoric. Yes, plethoric. P-L-E-T-H-O-R-I-C. Plethoric. As you can probably guess, it's related to the word plethora. Uh, P-L-E-T-H-O-R-A. And it's an adjective meaning overfull, turgid or inflated or characterized by plethora. So you could say, after dinner, he struggled to button his trousers over his plethoric belly. There you go. Plethoric. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. 
filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue, and much more, as well as tips on publishing. The online program fits around your weekly schedule and you'll get extensive personal feedback from your classmates and tutor throughout the program. Margaret Morgan's novel, The Second Cure, is out now through Penguin Books Australia and it's also being turned into a mini-series. Here's what Margaret says. Hi, my name is Margaret Morgan. I'm an author. Um, I've just had my first novel published and I'm working on my second. I've been a writer all my life, um, either professionally or just for fun and squeezed into other professions, but um, it's definitely where I'm staying now. I decided to do the course at uh, the Australian Writers' Centre, um, Write Your Novel, the six-month course, when a friend told me about it, and I realised it was exactly what I needed at that point to help me get the novel written and to give me the kind of support I needed. I was prompted to take the course specifically because I wanted the kind of encouragement and support that a six-month ongoing course would allow me. The tutor in the course was really fantastic, somebody who's written many, many novels herself and um, is very encouraging and really is good at identifying the strengths and weaknesses in writing. One of the impacts that the course has had on me has been to demonstrate to me that I actually can be a writer, can be a novelist specifically. It has allowed me to make connections that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to make within the industry. And probably one of the best things about it is the writing group that was formed with a bunch of us in that particular course. And that was like, what, three or four years ago. We're still meeting every month and critiquing each other's work. And it's a really valuable thing. Through the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I discovered that I really could be a novelist. And that was such a revelation to me and such a delight. It was something I'd always wanted and suddenly now I've got it. I would say you really should join the Australian Writers' Centre because it's staffed by real professionals. It's a really good, well-structured organisation that's got great courses that are practical as well as inspiring. Anyone who's thinking of doing one should really think about it very seriously because it's a very, very valuable organisation and the courses are terrific. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash novel writing. Now let's move on to our writer-in-residence this week. Michael Thompson's novel is How to Be Remembered, which is now being adapted for the screen. He has been a journalist, producer and media executive for the last 15 years and co-owns a podcast production company called Fear and Greed, which produces some of Australia's most popular business podcasts. How to Be Remembered is his first novel. He's already scored a two-book deal with the US and is now writing his third novel. Thanks so much for joining us today, Michael. Thank you for having me, Valerie. I'm really excited. There are so many questions that I have for you about your fantastic novel, How to Be Remembered. Now, before we talk about the whole journey of this book and what's happened since its release, uh, in case there are some listeners who haven't got their hands on a copy yet, can you tell us what it's about? Because it's such a unique premise. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, it's a... um. It is about a young man by the name of Tommy, uh, and every year on his birthday, he is forgotten by everybody who knows him. Uh, and so the book is basically just about his life and about his journey uh, to really have the things that the rest of us take for granted. So to have a job, uh, to have a family, to have a relationship, uh, all things that get very, very difficult when uh, you are forgotten every year. Um, and it is 
really at its heart, I suppose, a love story. Um, but it is really just designed to be a, a, an entertaining read, perhaps a little bit heartbreaking kind of along the way, because it's a pretty sad kind of premise. How in the world did you come up with this idea? Uh, there's a couple of places, actually. It, it kind of came from two different things. And part of it is is I was thinking about social media, which which actually makes it sound really boring. I was having a shower at the time and I was just That's where all my good ideas come. <laughs> I know. Isn't it just the best place? Because just I was just standing there and this makes it sound like I really, really dull showers that I was just standing there thinking about social media of all things. And I was thinking about all the stupid things that people post online right? And the fact that they would probably love the opportunity to just have that wiped, uh, to have that record of everything that they've done just just gone. And in parts of Europe, there is this right to be forgotten. Uh, but I, I was thinking that, yeah, there'd be plenty of people that would love that opportunity. What if it was the opposite though? What if there was somebody who just wanted to be remembered and there was something big that was preventing that from happening? And I thought, okay, that's definitely kind of got the, uh, the, the, uh, the potential for a story. And the other, when I kind of think then about, okay, where did that really kind of come from? What had happened about six weeks prior to this idea coming was I'd finished up at work. I'd finished up at uh, a job I'd been doing for about 10 or 11 years in, in radio because my background is is journalism and I'd been working at, at one radio network for just over a decade. And I'd finished up and you know how when you've been in a role for a while, your job and your personality start to kind of fuse almost. They, they start to kind of become one a little bit. and It's really your identity, isn't it? You are absolutely right. It is your identity. And then when you leave, say if you were to retire or, or if you were to leave that 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 job, you, you go through a bit of an adjustment. And so I kind of fell into this trap of thinking, okay, uh, when I leave, people are going to notice it. That that uh, look, I'd been on call almost twenty four seven. It felt like for a few years, where at any time of the day or night, if something went kind of wrong at one of the radio stations around the the country, you could get a call. And I thought, okay, there this, there might be a bit of a difference when I when I go. Anyway, I finished up on a Friday afternoon, and at five o'clock on that Friday, the, the 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 call stopped coming, and the emails stopped coming, and everything was quiet. Uh, and then at nine o'clock on the Monday morning, somebody else was sitting at my desk uh, and the, the the world just rolled on. The company moved on and actually kind of, <laughs> unfortunately uh, for me, went better without me afterwards. And so in a way, I was just completely forgotten uh, in a kind of a, in a corporate sense. I was I was forgotten. And what I think now looking back on it, I suspect that probably fed into this and, and kind of fed into the idea that then kind of came about while I was standing there thinking in the shower. But standing there in the shower and having an interesting thought is is great, but then you write a whole book about it. How did that idea then, like how long did it take before you realised I, ha- I have a novel in this? That is a big leap. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty quick actually and, and part of it was probably because of that timing and because I had just finished up at work and this was at the end of 2019 uh, and so I thought, okay, I'll take maybe six weeks off because it was coming into Christmas and I thought I'll, I'll take some time off over Christmas, uh, and start looking for a job, uh, in early 2020, maybe in February of 2020, which in hindsight is not a good time to be looking for a job because at that point, uh, all the jobs in the country just dried up because we went, we started to go into lockdown. Uh, and so I thought, all right, 
here is this opportunity uh, instead of going back to work full time, because there is no opportunity to go back to work for somebody else, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to uh, start a business. And so we started a couple of kind of former colleagues and I uh, started a a podcast business uh, and that will kind of pay the bills for a bit. And the other thing I'm going to do at the same time is I'm going to have a crack at writing that novel because I had, uh, I've always uh, been writing for work because my background is, is journalism, but I've always been writing uh, short form nonfiction, that you're writing 200 words or 500 words on uh, a police report or what's happened in state parliament or what's happening in federal politics or something like that. And you are conveying exactly kind of what you're seeing happening over there. And you are trying to kind of put it in as fewer words as possible and convey as much meaning as quickly as you can. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be a fairly big adjustment then to go from this form of writing to then uh, putting it into a longer form and not cramming all of the meaning, all of the words, all of the events into the first page as you're trained to do in journalism and trained to do in in kind of writing for radio and suddenly trying to stretch it out over kind of 90,000 words. I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it, but I'm going to give it a crack. And so I just sat down and I started writing. But writing 90,000 words is a commitment. Did you, had you always wanted to write a novel? Yeah, it had always been there. Uh, and But I had thought that I wouldn't get the opportunity to do so until retirement, most likely, because the nature of, of the work I was doing was, it, there were long, long days from say, kind of, I, I'd, I'd uh, be going from say 7am to 7pm kind of thing. And it just, it just, there wasn't much time. There wasn't the creative space as well in your brain to, to kind of think about that. Cause you're always thinking about whatever the problems are that you're dealing with at work or what the, the kind of the next project is. And so uh, there wasn't really that space. And all of a sudden the, the stars basically aligned and this opportunity, this time came up and I thought, okay, this thing that I thought I might not get to do for another 30 years, I'm going to have a crack at it right now. And if I start a business at the same time and work with my colleagues on trying to build a, uh, a podcasting business. I mean, clearly I, I'm happy to take a few risks. If I, if I thought kind of my, here's my, I'm going to write a novel, but my backup here, my safety is podcasting, which is not exactly kind of something that's got huge revenue raiser written all over it. It's kind of got hobby potentially um, <laughs> attached to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I just thought those two things kind of aligned and I'll give them a, give them a go at the same time. And in hindsight, looking at it going, it's probably taking a fairly big chance. And, and my wife kind of supported me through this and it's worked out for the best. It really has. So with the novel then, how much of the story did you know, uh, did you know before you started writing or did you just discover it as you went along and how long till you had a draft that you were, you know, kind of happy with like a proper draft? Yeah. So it's, I didn't know where it was going. I I knew the start and I knew the premise. uh, And so I just sat down and started writing that because I also thought if I can't do this, if I'm not able to write in this style uh, and write in this format, then I will know quickly. I will know within the first thousand or 2000 words. And so I thought I'll start writing and I know how it's going to start. And at the very least, I'll get that down and it will tell me whether or not I should keep going. And so I got through that and then I just kept going and going and going. And and the story just evolved as I went. And it wasn't until I was maybe two thirds of the way through, maybe three quarters of the way through that I knew how it was going to end. Uh, so it it was really just um, evolution uh, as it, as it was going. And I didn't, and again, 
being new to this to the whole environment and being new to the the writing community and i i had been listening to the the podcast and i never really to your podcast and i never really kind of understood that the difference so much between plotting and 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 pantsing and i'm like and i did it i'm like oh my god i'm a pantser <laughs> it was just this this revelation all of a sudden i'm like i fit into this category and it was very exciting for me and and i've always heard people talking about how the characters kind of write themselves and the characters kind of explore and see see where it goes and you're just there kind of recording it and i never really understood that when i heard people saying that and when you were interviewing them and they they say that oh the character wanted to do this i'm like how is that possible and then i did it i'm like okay i understand it now it is almost just a case of following the logical kind of progression of what these people are doing and what these and what would happen next in a scene or if you want to change things up then do the opposite of what you would logically expect them to do and suddenly i was i was really learning as i went the whole way through the book and how long did it take you for that first draft uh probably about 6 months or so but at the same time it was um was setting up the business as well so i was a little bit kind of distracted and i was kind of writing though every morning um, and trying to get kind of a thousand words or 2000 words done a day. And it kind of did, did fluctuate, did kind of vary a little bit as I was, as I was going, but it would have been kind of six months. And I, I took a break in the middle when things got a little bit kind of hectic with trying to set up, uh, set up work, uh, during that period. But in the end, you need to pay the bills at the same time. Of course. How did you get your book deal? Oh, okay. So this was, uh, this was the next part of the the learning process, I got to the end of it. Okay. So I understand that, um, that obviously in Australia, there are multiple ways to be published. Um, but I thought if I'm going to aim, I would love to be published in the U S I'd love to be published elsewhere. And to do that, I understand that you do need uh, a literary agent in in the U S yes. Yes. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, then that would be, um, that would be fantastic. And so that became my, my new, goal after I'd finished this book and I thought, okay, I've gotten to the end of this book. And I thought, this is actually, I reckon there's potential in this. And I'd written it, just kind of writing it for for me. And then I got about halfway through and I was thinking, I, I actually, I feel like this is working and I feel like the stories come together and I feel like it's actually evolved really nicely. Then I, okay, my next goal is, is to get it published and, and to, uh, to, to find an agent uh, to help do that. But I did not realize just how hard that process was. And so I had a spreadsheet. I had an Excel spreadsheet and I had um, kind of a list of all of the agents that I that I thought would be good to approach. And kind of one by one, they came back with no, 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 no. Okay, that um, that that makes sense. It's very subjective. Uh, and then uh, 42 no's later. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> yes, I got a yes. Uh, and that was... <gasps> It was, it was so exciting. It was, it was such a, it was such a thrill um, to do that. And uh, because I I had kind of gone to all of the agents in Australia and then I looked to the agents in the US and the ones in the UK, the worst part about kind of applying uh, and submitting your work to agents elsewhere in the world is the fact that the rejections, when you get them, they come through at about 2am or 3am, which is a very brutal time of night uh, to get a, um, to get a rejection when you wake up and your phone is lit up and you're like, oh, that, that really kind of, it, it does hurt a little bit more. Everything seems a little bit more painful at that time of night. And then when I, um, I was very, very fortunate. I had somehow on the the first run through, I had missed um, an agency that was uh, based in New York called Inkwell, uh, and they have a, a fantastic um, agent who works with them, but, but is based um, in Sydney, 
uh, for most of the time uh, where I live, uh, and then also works out of the US as well. And so I, I sent it off to to Catherine, and um, and and she liked the book. And I thought, okay, here we here we go. This this could be kind of the turning point. And so she took it then to um, she took the book after a bit of bit of work, and she gave me some very good very good feedback, some terrific feedback, in, including because keeping in mind that this was 2020, this was when we we're in the depths of the the pandemic or 2021, and she said. Um, it was very dark that those kind of first drafts were quite dark of the book. And she said, the world doesn't need more dark novels right now. We need hope. If people want to be kind of depressed or want to be kind of brought down by something, they can just look out the window for that. But what we need at the moment is, is hope and, and uplifting. And, and that is really what publishers are looking for at the moment. And it just shows the value of having a champion like, Catherine to basically sit me down before we go too far and just say, no, there's it, the, the bones of the book are great. The premise is great. The characters are good, but there is just, you need to, to really emphasize the hope elements. And so after I'd kind of tweaked those bits and, and kind of sorted all of that out, um, she took it off to, uh, to publishers in Australia and, uh, we ended up in an auction, uh, with, uh, with kind of multiple publishers going, which I, I just, I always, whenever I, I think about that, it, it emphasizes to me just how subjective the industry is that you can have kind of 42 no's uh, yeah. along the way and then you can still end up in an auction with publishers, multiple publishers interested in a book. It just shows that that a no does not necessarily mean that it's a bad book um, or it's it's not fit to be published or it doesn't have a hope or future or anything. It just means that it wasn't the right book for the right for that person on that day. Or it it they just had too many of those those um, that particular genre on their list or or something like that. And it just kind of just keep going and keep persevering. And then, um, then from there, uh, Catherine took it to uh, to editors in the US, and uh, so it was it was um, bought and published uh, in Australia by Alan and Unwin, and then um, which was fantastic getting to work with the with the team there. Uh, and then and Catherine took it to the US, and it was uh, picked up in a in a preempt a two book deal there by Sourcebooks, which was just a an absolute thrill. And there at that moment, I kind of ticked off that goal of going. It's going to be published in the states, which is something that I, I had never really thought was was possible, but was always just on that kind of publishing bucket list. That's so incredible, and congratulations on all of those things, of course. But okay. um, take me back to. 42 no's. Oh, my mm. goodness. Do, at any point during, like maybe at the 41st one or something, were you like, oh, you know, is this ever going to happen? You know, how did you feel when you're getting 42 no's? It's hard. It is really hard. And it does kind of weigh you down a bit. But I'd also thought I've spent so long working on this and I had um I'd, I'd given the book to a few people to read and the, and the, the, the feedback had all been very kind of constructive and some things that needed to be changed, but overwhelmingly the feedback had been positive about it. And I also just felt in myself that yes, this book has the potential to kind of get there. And I just thought I spent too long writing this. I've spent so I've put so much um, of myself into this book that I'm just going to keep on going because you never know. And the last thing you would want would be to then put it away into a drawer without having exhausted every potential opportunity. And I suppose when I, if I'd hit kind of 200 or 300 no's at that point, then I might go, you know what, I've actually run out of people to try. And that would be the point at which I would go, no, nah, there's nothing else um, left and it's time to, uh, it's time to shelve it. But uh, no, I think there was probably just a certain amount of um of stubbornness 
<laughs> and just as a yeah in in the end uh, i mean my my working in radio uh you develop a fairly thick skin as well which i think certainly helps and you need a fairly thick skin to be going into this into the querying process because there are going to be a lot of a lot of no's and you just kind of just have to take it as it's not personal and it's not yeah. necessarily saying that it is a bad book it's just not right for that person and just keep I'm- going I'm curious to know, did you query 42 people at the same time and they were all coming back to you or did you query one and wait or or group and wait? How did that process work for you? I was was doing kind of a a few a week, two or three a week uh, probably and just because I knew that it would take a long time to come back and I just thought I'll just keep it going and rather than do it all in one go, I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll spread it out. And that way it kind of, it's a manageable workload. And also then if it does come back with all the no's, it won't just be kind of 42 crushing no's all at once. Cause that would be hard, <laughs> but at least then if I kind of spread the agony out over kind of a few months, then it might be sustainable and I might be able to stand, stand up to that. Uh, so yeah, it was just more over kind of two or three, uh, two or three a week. And I, it took a long time actually to research and to, to really run rather than just kind of send it out kind of willy-nilly to to anyone, just to really take that time to kind of put some kind of detail into my Excel spreadsheet as to who would be potentially right uh, for, oh the, for the book. <laughs> so it's, it came out in Australia. You have the two-book deal in the US and you've got some other big news too, right? Yes, yes. So the, and then the, the the film, right, so this was, this was just spectacularly exciting. And this uh, all happened... Uh, in 2022, right when this was when um, the uh, the Australian deal was done, the US deal was done, and when that was announced um, over there, uh, there was uh, suddenly a, a bunch of film companies that were interested in it, and so this was still uh, at least. Oh, your mind? Were you? Were you know what I mean? Absolutely. What did, you, what did you think when you first heard this? Oh well, I, I received an email from from Catherine saying uh, the um, that the announcement in the US, and I, I will always remember the wording of it because it just it really stood out to me. She said the the announcement in the US has sparked a flurry of film interest. And in that context, a flurry can only mean kind of, well, more than one. Uh, and it's, it's, I've never been so excited by a flurry before. Uh, and I thought, okay, this is, this is, this is a whole nother level of, of excitement. And so I talked about that kind of the publishing bucket list. This is the kind of thing that I hadn't even kind of dared to put on the bucket list. And suddenly it was, it was happening. And there I was, um, there was a, a film agent uh, who then joined to represent um, at out of uh, out of UTA uh, in the US, and then um, then we're having Zoom calls with producers who were who had uh, who were first of all it just blew me away that they had read the book and that 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 they were then talking about the characters, talking about Tommy as though he was real, and talking about what they liked and what they didn't like and what they would potentially change and how they would see it kind of being adapted to the to the big screen. And it just it absolutely blew my mind going through that process. And then, and that deal was all done in kind of mid to late 2022. So this is still kind of four or five months before it was even published in Australia uh, and before, well before it was published in the US. And then at the same time, there were kind of translation 
um, things happening with um, with uh, Italy and Germany and and yes, how many places Polish. is it being translated it's, into? Uh, six six languages at oh the uh, at the moment. And would you believe I just today received a a message from the um from the uh, the gentleman who is uh, doing the Arabic translation. He goes, I'm just letting you know I'm currently working on the Arabic translation of your book, and I'm based in Morocco. I'm like, Okay, oh, this is this is uncanny. This is extraordinary, and so and I, there I was apologising for how Australian some of the lang uh, some of the language was. In there. I said I don't know if there's an Arabic um, equivalent for for some of the words that are used in this book. So I'm sorry if that's the case. And he assured me that no, he's dealt with much tougher cases. But that was just one of those really nice kind of messages that you uh, that you receive from people along the way. That is so incredible. So with the film adaptation, mm -hmm. is how involved are you going to be with that? Is there a separate screenwriter who's going to adapt it? There, there is, yes. Yeah, and so um, Jay Mills Goodlow has been signed to uh, to do that. Um, and so he's uh, done kind of films like um, Age of Adeline and, and others in the past. And so uh, he uh has started kind of working on it and I've had um a zoom call with him where we've kind of talked to where he just asked lots of questions about about the book and about the characters and about the motivations and about kind of other things that had been kind of part of it and so and about other earlier drafts and things that I'd cut out and why and all of this and so it was a really interesting insight into the way that 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 process uh takes place but apart from that no I'm not uh I'm not going to be particularly involved and that was really because I don't want to stand in the way of it and uh, there are so many books that get optioned for film and so few actually then make it to the big screen and I would love for mine to be one of those that actually does make it there and in the end whatever changes need to be made I, I would rather not be the person standing in the way saying that no Tommy's hair is kind of a sandy kind of blonde it must be sandy blonde and that's not the right shade like it's uh, kind of they know films I don't know films it's best if kind of um, those who know that uh, know that business make those decisions. I would just be thrilled to see it actually get there. Yeah, well, the fact that there's already a screenwriter and a claimed screenwriter attached to it is um, mm. absolutely fantastic. So, tell me about so that's the book's been out in the world. You've mm -hmm. you've written it. The so, it's it's gained all this interest. Um, it's been there's a screenwriter attached to it. What have you been doing apart from your podcast? <laughs> like, what does are you writing the next novel? So I've written the next one. Um, oh. And so I'm just, uh, and now we're kind of working uh, through revisions and everything with the, with source books in the US, which was, uh, which is terrific. And I, I really got in quite quickly and started, and that was again, another piece of great advice from, from Catherine, my agent, when, when the, my first book went out on, on submission, on submission, she said, um, she said, just start writing, just get writing in the next book because otherwise you could drive yourself mad kind of waiting to hear what people think about it. And so I did, I just started, um, started writing and, and now we're at that point of kind of going through the revisions and, and tweaking and adjusting and, and uh, working with source books on that one, which is, which is great. Now I'm kind of thinking about, okay, book three, when do I, I start that? And I'll probably start that in the next kind of six weeks or so. Just Have you to, got the um, idea for that already? Yeah. I've got the idea for the next couple um, of books oh. um, because do they I, come I to you I, in the shower as well? You laugh, but yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay. I, honestly, I don't know what it is about about the shower. It's just it's just 
I mean, I have very long showers, clearly, which is very <laughs> unfortunate if I go first and we just run out of hot water and I feel very sorry for my wife and kids if they're going after me. But, I mean, it's worth it because I've had a great idea while I'm in there. But, um, but no, I, I really kind of discovered that this genre, which is like it's kind of um, speculative fiction uh, really, but it is very kind of grounded speculative fiction. So it is, it is set in our world. It is set in kind of in, in real life. It could be set kind of in Sydney or in Melbourne or, or in a, a US city. Um, and you just tweak one little thing. And in this particular case, it is Tommy, uh, and the fact that he has forgotten every year on his birthday. And apart from that, the rules of the universe and the rules of the world still apply. Everything is still exactly the same. Uh, and so, and I, I have realized that that is a, a genre that I both love reading, but also really love writing because there's so much potential in there uh, that you can just take our lives, our world, and just tweak one little thing and make it different and then see how these people react to it. And the book is not about really um, kind of how Tommy, uh, or Tommy's kind of quest to figure out what it is that's making him be forgotten or anything like that. No, it's not. It is about the relationships and it's about him uh, and it's about his basically his desire just to live an ordinary life and to have uh, a partner and to have a job and these, and how he manages to do that despite these extraordinary circumstances. And that is a, a genre that I realized I really, really enjoy. And that is kind of what the next book is similar kind of uh, genre. And then um, same for the next, um, the next couple after that. So you seem to have a combo now of being a novelist, but also being uh, running a podcast company where you do mainly business-related podcasts. Mm -hmm. What does your day look like? When does the writing fit in? When does the podcasting fit in? What's the percentage of what you, how you spend your time on each? It's it's a little bit chaotic, and that's because we we just put out so many podcasts in a in a week. I think uh, Fear and Greed puts out something like twenty nine different episodes across our different kind of titles oh across the weeks. <laughs> it is a little bit crazy, uh, but it, basically the 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 day starts early in the morning, kind of because um, we have our first episodes out by five thirty uh, in the morning. So we're kind of putting the finishing touches on those um, at that um, at that time, uh, and then generally kind of after the kids get off to to school um the morning is for writing so from say 9 30 onwards if you can get a, a, a few hours done uh then it's it's terrific i love the early early morning so from kind of four o'clock onwards for writing is great because there's no emails no calls no interruptions that's great but it's just it's also a matter of being realistic about it and going in the end um, still got a, a business uh, to operate, still got kind of uh, work that's happening and the writing, unfortunately at this point, has to kind of fit in around everything else um, as as well. Uh, and so it's, yeah, it is a mix of podcasts early in the morning, writing early in the morning, writing kind of through the day, then podcasts through the afternoon and into the into the evening. Uh, and that's really the way it's the way it's gone. But I mean, look, you can get a fair bit done in, in say three hours of writing. You can get... Um, kind of a couple of thousand words potentially done um, during that time. Yeah. And it's just, it, it is actually really good to, to balance those two things out, to go from business news, which is very, very factual and very um, kind of strict uh, to then go to something where you are making it up entirely. Um, and I didn't know how that was actually going to work for a while there, uh, but 
it, it actually kind of has created a really nice balance, I think, in my life uh, between something that that I have wanted to do and wanted to do since I was a kid in terms of write creatively, uh, but yes. also then balancing out that the kind of the journalism side where there isn't the same opportunity to be as creative as you might, otherwise might like. And good on you for not waiting 30 years to follow your dream of writing, of becoming a novelist, right? Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So um, let's end with what are your top three tips for aspiring writers who would love to be in a position where you are one day? <laughs> I have to say I'm laughing at this because whenever I used to, to I always um, listen to the podcast while I'm driving. And so this in the years before I uh, was published, I would always go, oh, I'm going to come up one day. I'm going to be on this podcast and I'm going to come up with the best tips. And then I'd spend the rest of my drive. If I was driving to Canberra or wherever coming up with the greatest tips. And do you think I can remember any of them now as to what these ones were? And they were so good. And they were so creative and so different. And then I'm like, okay. Oh, okay. All right. No, I didn't actually write any of them down because I was driving at the time, but, but I have got my three tips. And so my first one is, is basically persistence. Um, which is uh, make sure you have a thick skin when you go into this process, because there will be a lot of, a lot of rejections, but in the end that, that you just need to stick with it because you never, ever know when things are going to change that, that it could be at two o'clock in the morning. It could be two o'clock in the afternoon that you will receive an email that can change your life. And you, you don't know when that is actually going to happen. And so just stick with it and, and really don't necessarily take no uh, for an answer that there will always be another way to get to where you need to be. And, and as I was, as I was going through the process and you kind of mentioned this, this before Valerie, but um, I was, uh, when I was getting to kind of that 30 no's or 35 no's, I was then kind of actually putting, a, it was almost like a second tab now on my spreadsheet of if this doesn't work, what are my options? And I'd come up with kind of seven alternative options of different ways to kind of get through the, um, the the publishing process and different people that I could try approaching and different kind of avenues. So just always look for another way uh, to get there because um, persistence is really key. Um, the second one is is uh, recognize your knowledge gaps and and do your best to fill them. And to do that, it might be kind of reading outside of your genre, just obviously read widely. And I know that's a very kind of, kind of common tip, but it is kind of know what, try and recognize what you don't know and do what you can to fill that and read the people who make it look easy because the people who make it look easy are generally very, very good at what they do. And it's not easy, but read it and see what it is that, that kind of really works there and, and kind of um, and do courses. And as, as part of that kind of recognize if you, if you know that there is something that you're not doing well, or that you're not sure how to do. And this is one that I'm very kind of personally motivated by because I probably would have benefited significantly from doing a course at the Australian Writers Center, because I was just basing a lot of it on kind of the journalism side of writing, but also from reading and, and kind of going, okay, this is how I will do this. And this is how I'll do this. And it wasn't until then I was sitting down kind of with Alan and Unwin and talking to them and they were talking about the three act structure and all of this. And I'm like, oh, you mean there's a name for what I've done? And it would have been <laughs> nice to actually know that and to apply that kind of uh, structure formally as I was going, because it might've made that process a little bit easier and might've kind of prevented me making some of the mistakes that I did uh, along the way as I was figuring it all out. Uh, and the third one is understand that it is a business, that, that publishing is in fact a, a business and that um, especially if you're a first timer, like I am, that, that 
you could do worse than listen to the people who have been operating in that business for a very long time. And so, uh, for instance, if a if a if a publisher would like to change your title or kind of has some kind of feedback or something, uh, why not listen? Why not kind of listen? Because in the end, these are the people who know the market. They know who your readers are, and they know kind of what what points are actually going to connect with people and actually help get your book out there into the world. And so if you can kind of step back and go, okay, this is not just art for art's sake. This is actually art for for a business purpose because publishers are a business, then you, you should really kind of listen to what they say because they are the ones who know the marketplace. And so those are those are not the three tips that I came up as I was driving from Sydney to Canberra, those golden gems <laughs> of tips, but they are the three tips I have today. I love it. Congratulations on all of the success you've had so far with How to Be Remembered. Everyone, get your copy of How to Be Remembered by Michael Thompson. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Valerie. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Michael. Now, before I leave you, here's your fun fact for the week. Have you ever wondered where the phrase it's Greek to me, or it's all Greek to me, comes from. Well, we know that Shakespeare used it in the tragedy of Julius Caesar. Uh, it goes, those that understood him smiled at one another and shook their heads, but for my own part, it was Greek to me. And one of Shakespeare's contemporaries, Thomas Decker, used a similar phrase in one of his plays. But the phrase has actually been around for much longer. In fact, there is a medieval Latin proverb, Graecum est non legata, Graecum est non legata. It is Greek, it cannot be read. And it was used by scribes to replace the Greek parts that were present in a Latin text. There you go. Now you know what you're saying when you say, it's all Greek to me. All right. Thanks so much for joining me in this episode. Do connect with me on social media at Valerie Koo, but also in the podcast listener community on Facebook. And of course, if you want to know anything more about the Australian Writer Centre or our courses to help you get published and write with confidence, visit writercentre.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.